last week, we began this series that we title Life on the Balance. And today, uh, I, I want to ask you to, to open your notes. And, and as you do, I'd like to share with you something a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this morning. According to BeBrainFit.com, BeBrainFit.com, they say that a piece of our brain, tissue of our brain the size of a, of a, of a grain of sand contains 1,000 thousand neurons. Now, so, so you have an idea. Uh, each of these cells communicates with each other, and, and every neuron is about, it's capable to communicate 1,000 nerve impulses per second. Now, I don't know if you can move your hand real quick, but I don't think you can do it 100 times a second. Now, think of your brain sending information 100 times per second. Also, the information travels between cell to cell at 268 miles per hour. Now, a, a, an, F, an F1 car, a Formula One car, races at 240 miles an hour. So the information between cells goes way faster than that. Also, they discover that the brain is believed to generate 50,000 thoughts per day. Now, some of you probably think it, I never think that much, but um, the brain is capable to do that. Now, have you ever opened your phone and tried to take a picture or a video and your phone says, it's full? Now, think about this for a second. The brain is able to store a quadrillion of information. Now, what is that? A terabyte, a terabyte that, that most computers now have a terabyte uh, of capacity, it is a one with, with seven zeros. Now, a quadrillion is a one with 15 zeros. Now, so you have an idea how much space that is? It is said that that's the space needed to store the whole internet. Now, your brain has the ability to store the entire internet. Now, they, they try to compare in Japan, in, in a so-called K-computer, they try to compare the speed of the brain with their fastest computer. And what they discovered is that the, the, what takes our brain a second to process, the fastest computer in Japan took 40 minutes. So not only our brains have this amazing capacity to store information, but also an amazing process, processing speed to, 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 to move the information around. Now, so, so this morning I'd like to tell you that a mind, a mind, it's a terrible thing to waste if you're not using it correctly. You see, just like computers, just like computers, there is viruses and malware and bad programs that come into our mind and affect the speed at which we process, speed, affect the, 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 the capacity and affect the way we process information. And that is why we need to understand how to use our minds in the way they were intended to be. Open your notes and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter, first uh, letter of Peter, I was going to say gospel. First letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. There's no gospel of Peter, by the way. Therefore, it says, therefore, 
preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop here for a second and look at the word prepare. Let's prepare. Prepare, the word in Greek, is the word anasosimenoi. Can you say that? Okay, you don't have to. But anasosimenoi is... Uh, to prepare, and what it is in this sense is that there's two ways to be prepared. One is a proactive, and another one is reactive. You see, let me explain this to you. When you are reactive, have you ever seen a fly coming by your eye or a mosquito? What do you do? You react to it, right? You prepare to prevent that mosquito to come into your eye, but you're reacting because the mosquito has already approached. Correct? Well, that is not the word that he's talking about here. The word that he's talking about here is to be prepared proactively. In other words, is preparation like a boxer or a marathon runner. You see, when a marathon runner is about to race, they don't prepare from one day to the next. See, there's, there's weeks, weeks, 20, 30 weeks of preparation. And they begin with slow races, with the small races, short races. And then they increase the speed. They increase the distance. They change their diet. They, they, they prepare in a way that months ahead, when the race comes, they are ready. Their body is ready. And that is exactly what he's talking about here. When we're talking about protecting our mind, when we're talking about developing our mind, when we're talking about making our mind a sharpest instrument in our body, we need to prepare proactively. We have to be constantly preparing ourselves for the moment when it's crucial and we have to use it. Are you with me this morning? That means, family, that means that we need to be practitioners of mental fitness. And for that, we need to remember one thing. And the most important principle in being ready mentally is that we have to guard the access to our mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive. Now when we read this text, it's kind of confusing because what does that mean to take every thought captive? You see, when I was in high school, I remember that uh, from one day to the next in the news, they began to show in the classrooms the day when the, when, when the Allied army went to Kuwait to to fight against the Iraqi army. You guys remember that? I, I think that that was called Desert, Desert Storm. Remember that? Now, that was the first time in my life that I heard the term POW, prisoner of war. And I remember that, that they would show scenes where the, the Iraqi soldiers were captured by, by the Allied armies. And the reason they were, they were prisoners, they were captive was because they were enemies and because they were captives, all their weapons, all, all their abilities, all their, their tasks and purposes were controlled by the Allied soldiers. These were completely captive. What he's saying here, family, is that 
our thoughts, our thoughts, every single thought that crosses our mind, we need to be in control of. We need to be controlling every thought that is processed in our mind. That means that we have to be 100% in control of our minds. Now, that means that we have to be mental warriors. And uh, today, we have Janelle October with us. And she's going to share with us a little bit about how to be an efficient mental warrior. Happy Sabbath, church family. It's nice to be here, and it's, I'm so humbled to be able to speak on this topic to you guys. How many of us believe that there is a battle going on for our minds? It's a battle that's fought really, really hard. And we can see in the very beginning of time that Satan didn't use something really, really extreme. He used something very simple. It was our appetite and our desire. Two things. But I've seen and I've witnessed how when, you, when you're aware of these things, when you have knowledge, when you put on the mind of Christ, you're able to see how these weapons can be used to destroy our minds. Um, so there's three kinds of weapons I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about. WMDs. It's not weapons of mass destruction. It's weapons of mind destruction. There's weapons of mind destruction, weapons of mind dis dysregulation, and weapons of mind distraction. And I'm going to give you some knowledge about each of those three. So when we know the tactics that the enemy uses, we can prepare ourselves like in the desert storm. They knew what weapons were going to be used against them. So they knew how to protect. They knew how to fight back. But the great news is, is the battle really is won as long as we stay connected to the one who won the battle, and that's Jesus Christ. And using his Holy Spirit, we're able to become temple warriors with him. Because the Holy Spirit does reside within us. So I'm going to expose Satan's two weapons of mass destruction that I've seen used on people. Pastor Bikini spoke earlier when he read 1 Peter, and he talked about being, the Bible talks about being sober-minded. When we first think of sober-minded, we think of probably someone who doesn't drink and someone who doesn't do drugs. But I want to share with you today that there's ways in which we can become not sober, even though we're not drinking alcohol or partaking of any illegal drugs. Because to be sober, you have to be rationally, you think rational, you're logical, and you're clear-headed. And I think there's a reason why when the Bible speaks of putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation is just strictly for protection. A little bit of anatomy. We saw a brain up there on the screen earlier. 
This part of your brain that's right behind your forehead, that's a prefrontal cortex. That's what differentiates us from like most animals because we can think. This is where we plan for the future. This is where judgment occurs. This is where decision-making occurs. This is where attention span happens. So if you think of the frontal part of your brain, if we can cause that part of our brain not to work, then we're just going to be responding. We're just going to be reacting. We're just going to be using the reptilian part of our brain kind of like when the pastor was speaking about the fly. You don't really think about swatting the fly. You really just respond, because it's our body's response to get rid of the fly. But we do use responses in terms of what kind of people we choose to be around, what kind of things we choose to watch, what kind of food we choose to eat. Those are things we do choose. Okay, let's see. So the first weapon of mass destruction mm. is sugar. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. I think I'm going to touch some sore spots today. So, just by the grunts and the sounds, do you guys eat a lot of sugar? No. Never. We don't eat sugar. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to ask a question. I know it could be sensitive for some people. If you weigh between 140 and 160, would you stand? Thank you. My daughter stood. Do you know that as Americans, we consume between 140 and 160 pounds of sugar a year? This is added sugar. This is not what's in your apple. This is not what's in your banana. This is not what's in God's food. This is added sugar. In a week, you eat three pounds of sugar. Three pounds. This is a four-pound bag, so just take off a little bit. This is according to the USDA. I'm not making this up. Every day, you consume 20 teaspoons of sugar. Those are a little bigger spoons, but you get the idea. And the, the normal rate is supposed to be about six of added sugar. Again, I'm not talking about your fruit, I'm not talking about your vegetables, added per day. The Center of Disease Control says that we have about, this is the destruction part of the weapons of mass destruction. 30 million people with diabetes. 84 million people with pre-diabetes. Minus one, because I used to be pre-diabetic and no longer am, and I'm willing to share with anybody how God gives you the strength and the wisdom to overcome it. Alzheimer's is another way that God, that Satan uses as a weapon of mass destruction. There's 5.7 million people diagnosed with Alzheimer's in America. By 2050, 16 million people will have Alzheimer's. That's 30 years from now, people. 30 years from now. And I want to tell you that now the new, the new research is, is saying that type 3 diabetes is Alzheimer's. 
type three. So sugar is huge. And just as a little sidebar, Loma Linda is a considered a blue zone. They have very little Alzheimer's, they have very little diabetes. They don't eat a lot of sugar. Dysregulation, weapons of mind dysregulation. Okay, the brain does need sugar. It uses about 20% of our body's energy to survive. But too much or too little is dangerous. How many people have gone to the store and gone shopping when you're hungry? Do you make the best decision? Whenever that, that money comes up on the counter, I'm thinking, oh, I should have ate before I came, because I bought a lot of groceries. So when the blood, when the sugar is either too high or too low, the frontal part of our brain, the blood flow changes. So now we're responding with the back of our brain, which is saying, ooh, and I don't eat Twinkies. Ooh, those Twinkies look good. Or, ooh, that looks good. Or, I'm looking for sugar and energy because my brain wants to survive. And then there's the irritability if your sugar's too low or too high. Mood swings, brain fog, fatigue. Oh, it hinders learning, memory. I've worked with so many patients in the mental health field with kids who have issues with ADHD and ADD. And sugar is huge. The sugar industry will tell you it's not because they make way too much money. Um, distraction, the weapon of mind distraction. The way Satan does is he keeps you focused on what you're going to eat next. Keeps you thinking about what's that, what's that snack I need to have, as opposed to his nourishment and his strength and his desire for you to share his gospel with other people. Okay, I'm going to touch a nerve again, I think. Now it's sleep. Another weapon of mind destruction. Distraction and dysregulation is sleep. How many people slept about seven to eight hours last night? Yay, some of you. Did you know that too little sleep and too much sleep are bad? It's kind of the same with sugar. Um, 50 to 70 million people have sleep disorders in the United States. Um, and sleep meds, I'm sorry to say this, they don't give you the sleep you need. They knock you out, but they don't give you the sleep you need. Now I'm gonna tell you another sad story. Alzheimer's is not just type three diabetes, it's also lack of sleep. Our brain, our bodies are beautifully and wonderfully created and we have a lymphatic system from here down. Our brain doesn't have one. So the lymphatic system, real quickly, it, it clears out all the junk in your body, and it requires movement, and it gets those lymph nodes. You know when you have a sore throat and your lymphs are full? They're full of toxins. Well, the ones in our brain, they've shown that when you sleep, your brain washes itself and cleans itself and gets rid of those beta amyloid plaques that they see in the brains of those with Alzheimer's. So, not only do we have to have a really good Sabbath rest, we need restorative rest every day, seven to eight hours. Without it, not only are we more at risk for Alzheimer's, we have a weakened immune system, we get sick, we gain weight, we have a risk of type two diabetes, 
cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure. Um, the next one, again, it was is dysregulation. In my practice, when I worked as a mental health therapist, when someone came in depressed, it was really hard to see if whether I was treating depression or sleep deprivation, because they both really, really look the same. They're moody, irritable, depressed moods, um, difficult learning things, not interested in the same kind of stuff. So it was really hard to gauge which one, which one happened first. Because then also, when you get on your antidepressants, they deplete in your body a thing called melatonin, which is a natural um, circadian hormone that causes you to fall asleep at night. And so these antidepressants, I've seen it in so many cases, they come in there on this one, and eventually they're going to end up on a, a sleep medication because the melatonin is being depleted in their bodies. So now they're not sleeping. So now we're just, I mean, the snowball effect is huge. But even beyond that, if you don't have depression, there's now incidents of accidents, driving, not while drunk, driving while tired. Too many people do that. They think, oh, okay, I can just have some caffeine and I can drive a little further. But no, you need to sleep. If you're tired at the wheel, pull over, take a 20-minute nap, and then just keep driving again. The distraction part, the weapons of mass distraction, Again, Satan can keep you focused on the flesh. If you're tired, you're not going to want to witness to somebody else. You're thinking about, first of all, you're craving food because now your body doesn't have the energy to get out through the day. But you're grouchy, you're grumpy, you're sick, and you're not in the spirit of wanting to help people more. And the caretakers of those who have, let's say, Alzheimer's, that's a very stressful, stressful place to be because it's very long-term. Again, I want to challenge you to be a temple warrior. Put on the armor of God. Make sure you have the helmet of salvation on. Protect that mind. Guard it like the pastor said with all that we can do because knowledge is power, and Satan wants that. He wants full activity of that brain. And if he can't just get you, he's going to distract you from giving it to someone else. So reduce your sugar intake, please. Women, about 25 grams a day, which is about six teaspoons on there, of added sugar. Men, 37 grams. I don't think that's fair. I really don't. <laughs> but anyways, women, we usually cook, so we can give them only six. And that's about nine teaspoons. But if you're addicted to sugar, or if you have diabetes or prediabetes, or if you have cancer, don't eat sugar. Don't eat any added sugar until you get your sugar levels back. And it's not really getting your sugar levels back, it's getting your body to use sugar in the way that God intended it to be. Get restful sleep, seven to eight hours a night. Make sure your room's dark. I know it's hard to make it cool these days, but cool. Don't eat like four hours before you go to bed. That's Ellen White, not me. Um, no screen time about an hour before you go to bed, you'll sleep better. The, the lights in your screens actually trick your brain into thinking it's time to wake up. So, and remember, the pain of self-denial is much worse than the pain of self-destruction. 
I mean, I, that's the opposite. The pain of self-denial is better, sorry, than the pain of self-destruction. Because we want to be, I want to be, in heaven with all of you. And I don't want anybody to lose their chance to be there because Satan has convinced your mind otherwise. Thank you. That we were done now. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Janelle. Well, now that you're awake, because you haven't slept your eight hours, um, how, when is the last time that you learned a new skill? Okay, don't raise your hand. Don't, just think about it for a second. See, it is said that when we reach our mid 30s, the average American stops learning. And see, sometimes we think, and this happened to me, when I was uh, in my graduation of a, of a graduate school, I was thinking, in fact, the last day when I was in class, I was thinking, this is it. I don't have to go to school ever again. And see, we, ever, we, we sometimes confuse what is education and learning. Because, see, we should never stop learning. See, the Air Force did a study, and they discovered that after 72 hours, we forget 90 to 95% of what we've heard. So that means that by Tuesday, you already forgot about the weapons of mind destruction. That is why, that is why we need to, to learn to, to, to use skills to keep on learning. Let me explain some of, this, some of this to you. We have to, to, to read more. See, the, the, most of the, the Americans read 20 pages per week. And most of these pages are little ads. You see, we have to train ourselves to read because when we read, we become open to new ideas. We have to learn to, to write ideas. That is why uh, um, we have in front of you notes so that you can see and, and write. You see, you hear the stuff, you see the, the things, you, you write the ideas, and when you use more senses in the learning process, your achievement increases than if you just hear because by Tuesday you already forgot what you heard. You see, now the other thing that we have to, to understand is that we need to get together with people who know more, who knows more than we do. See, when you're the smartest person in the room, you're not that smart. See, see, mingle with people who know more than you. Learn. Learn to ask the right questions. So when you have conversations, you grow. You grow. You develop your brain and you open it up. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? I'd like to share with you three attitudes that we need to have in order to grow mentally. And the first one is that we need to experience openness. Openness. You see, Proverbs 18.15 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. You see, if I were to ask you, how many of you are intelligent? Okay, some of you want to be intelligent. Some of you hope to be intelligent. But see, all of us could be intelligent at the moment that we open our minds to start acquiring new information. You see, a sign of intelligence is always looking to learn new things. See, as a pastor, I've heard many times, we've never done it that way. We've always done it this way. 
oh, we've never did that here before. See, we can learn in many ways. And, and, but one of our obstacles is that first, as we get older, we get set in our ways. We wear accustomed, we get accustomed to doing things certain ways. To prepare breakfast in, in a way, to, to eat this for lunch, this for dinner. And we are closed to try new things. In fact, some of us are afraid to try new flavors like curry and Indian food. And see, and some of us, some of us have excuses. You see, we, we created a bunch of excuses. I think we should have a master on excuse making. Because see, we are so good at it. We are so good at it that we have an excuse for everything. And when we prepare excuses, automatically we're saying, oh, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to learn. I don't want to try. So family, openness, openness is the key to learning. Because see, once we understand that we need to learn, that we need to acquire more information, that we need to acquire more knowledge, that we want to be intelligent people, the second attitude that we need to develop is humility. Humility. Proverbs 11.2 says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. A man of understanding or a woman of understanding remains silent. Do you know that person that always talks a little bit too much? Don't look at them. But, but see, we, oftentimes we speak more than when we take. And a lot of the times we speak because, see, we are concerned of what other people might think. Oh, if I don't say something, they might think that I don't know anything. But see, we have to accept that we all have limitations. We all have limits. We, are, we all have a, an amount of information that we possess. And because of that, we need to develop the attitude of humility to accept that there's something that I need to learn. That there's something that I, need, that, 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 that I don't have that I need to acquire. You see, when I become humble, my attitude is, I do not know it all. But the first obstacle for this is when we think, oh, I have it all together. It's a time to. See, see, Winston Churchill said, I love to learn, but I hate to be taught. And, and I agree with him. You see, some of us are not humble enough to accept somebody else teaching us, especially, especially when they're younger than us. See, but, but let me ask a question. Do you know why children learn so much? Because they're not afraid to ask questions. See, I love it when I go down to the school and week of prayers and stuff, and I ask the kid, who knows? Or, or do you have a question? And all the kids go, oh. they don't even have a question, but they raise their hands. You see, but, but as we grow older, adults, as adults, we have a problem. We are afraid that if I have a question, people might think that I don't know. That I, I don't want to look dumb asking the wrong question. Can you say dumb in church? Well, I just said it. Uh, so, so, so see, we, we are afraid that people 
have the wrong perception of who I am. They might think that I'm not intelligent enough, so I'd rather not ask any questions. But have you ever heard that was a humbling experience? I believe that every experience should be a learning experience. But experiences in our life can only be learning experiences if we learn to be humble. So every experience that we go through life, we should be open enough and humble enough to accept that whatever I'm going in life through right now is going to teach me something. Oftentimes we don't like to talk to certain people, but it's those people who will teach us the greatest amount of lessons. You see, we, we need to learn to be open and humble. And the third attitude is that we have to create awareness. See, Hebrews 3.15 says, As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts. In other words, you have to be aware that God is trying to tell you something. That God is trying to use people, use experiences, use situations to teach you something. And it's going to sound hard, but God is trying to teach you a lesson. And that doesn't mean that he's going to punish you. It's saying that he wants you to grow. He's saying that he wants you to increase your knowledge, increase the, 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 the health of your mind. He wants you to, 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 to develop your mind in such a way that every day, at every opportunity, in every instance, becomes sharper, becomes more acute, becomes healthier, and becomes prepared to be attuned like the mind of God. You see, when we are exposed to every learning opportunity, we have to be aware of it. We cannot, be, we cannot be aloof at the situations that God is preparing in front of us because what he wants us to do is that every time he's showing something in front of us to learn, that we have to be in such a level of awareness that we say, God, okay, this is where you want me to, what you want me to learn. This is where you want me to grow. This is what you want me to do. This is the place you want me to go. This is where you want me to take my next step. See, Missing the chance, missing the chance to, to, to seeing these learning opportunities to, to make positive, positive chance, uh, changes in our lives is missing life at its fullest. Because the moment that we stop learning is the moment that we say, I, I chose to stop living. Life is a constant development and our mind is in the const, constant uh, hunger of being developed and grown. And the only way that our mind grows is when we learn new things. See, here in my, in, in my pocket, I have a balloon. And uh, you, you know what we should do with balloons, right? They're made to be inflated, right? And there's a technique to inflate balloons. You see, you, you stretch them. And then you blow, and you blow, and you blow. And see, it, and I can blow this balloon as much as I can until it can hold no more air. And if I tell you that every time that I breathe into this balloon, it's going to help it. To float. Would you believe me? But it's inflated. In fact, I'm going to blow a little bit more and I'm going to show you that it's going to float. Do you believe me? Why not? 
Because some of you are like, why not? Now, now, let me explain this to you. The only way that this balloon could float and reach the ceiling is if instead of the carbon dioxide that is coming out of my lungs, or is it monoxide? Okay, you fight about it. In instead of the carbon oxide that is coming out of my lungs, is helium... Are you with me now? Because see, helium is the only thing that will make this balloon go up. I can inflate it with a lot of air. But it's not going to float unless it's helium. You see, our minds can only grow when they're filled with the wisdom of God. Our minds can only reach higher when we allow the presence of God in all shape or forms to come into them. But we can fill it with other things. We can fill it with, with, with violence and, 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 and jokes and, and, and vines and YouTube videos. And we can fill it with, 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 uh, with newspaper stuff and soap operas and, and, and music and, and all kinds of things. But you know what? If it's not coming from the breath of God, if it's not coming from the right source, this mind will never take off. This mind will never elevate. This mind will never reach the place that it's supposed to reach. Because only one thing can fill it and make it do that. So the challenge that we have for you this morning is that we commit to keep a balanced mind. A mind that is balanced because the only one can give balance is in it. And that in the center of our minds, in the frontal cortex and the hypothalamus and the right and the left hemispheres, in all of it, Is the presence of God, His Word, His love. Because that is the only way that we could truly, truly become balanced. But see, we live in a world that we have all kinds of distractions. We have all, we have all kinds of noises. All kinds of, of, of things trying to compete for, for the space in our mind. And, and, and it's feeling it and, and it's jockeying for position in our brain. But we have to learn to be still and to let the words of God come in. Caitlin is going to sing today so that we can think about how to be still. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
in Christ alone.